throughout this holiday season, through Thanksgiving, this Advent time, through Christmas and New Year's, hopefully you can find some ideas uh, in these faith-filled holiday packs and, and just bring some faith, bring some time of remembrance of, of what this all means to us, why we celebrate these things and how uh, we can just bring Christ into all of the celebrations that we do. So here today, we're going to continue to celebrate the Advent season. Thanksgiving's over. I mean, really, it was last month, right? So last month. But during Advent, we as the church look forward to and we celebrate the arrival of Christ Jesus in the world. That's the whole point of Advent. Advent. And while we go through all of the celebrations, traditions, and preparations of this holiday, our goal is to keep the real meaning of Christmas at the forefront, right? We remember that Jesus Christ has come into the world. Now, I personally don't come from a liturgical background. Uh, I know some of you do. So I've not been familiar with all of the traditions that, ha- that go along with this, with Advent and with the Advent wreaths that we're going to uh, continue to go through. But I knew that Advent was part of the Christmas season. I knew they were tied together, but I never really understood how. So as I was going through and, and just trying to get up to speed, okay, what does this all mean? I've really been appreciative of the purpose and intentionality of it all. How we take this time to look at di- different symbols and what they represent in Christ and how they, they relate to what Christ has done for us. So as we walk through this Advent season, uh, one of the things is the goal that we prepare our hearts for the arrival of Christ. We look forward to that Christmas day uh, and, and what that means, but we also look forward to the ultimate time when Christ returns again, that second time. Um, and so we ponder the Christ, the coming Messiah, and we celebrate that Christ Jesus has already come to earth today. So with that, our preparations are two-pronged in a way. First, we can ponder what attributes he has brought already, uh, what he has already done, we celebrate that moment when Jesus was born as a baby. And then secondly, we turn our thoughts to what he's still doing and what he still will do. Uh, we look forward to his second coming. So during the season of Advent, we're using one of the suggestions that was in the faith-filled holiday packet. And that is one thing that just rolls off the tongue really well. As you can tell, as I've been saying it, it just rolls off the tongue. So we started this last week, and you can do this at home with your family as well, is we started celebrating and commemorating the Advent wreath, the symbol of the Advent wreath. And we take this idea and we continue the discussion there. We can draw things uh, from these packets, from this message, and we continue to prepare our hearts, our family's hearts, for the celebration of the birth of Christ. Jesus, the long-anticipated Messiah. So the Advent wreath allows us to mark the four weeks leading up to Christmas, And also Christmas Day. And we do that through the lighting of these candles. So each week we're going to take one of these and we're going to light the Christmas candle or a candle and commemorate what they mean. So last week we had the the candle of hope. Let's do that the right way. So we have the hope of Christ, our long-awaited Messiah, the one who is going to come, the one who is the long-prophesied Messiah. And we, we saw that last week... The hope is for today, and it's also for the future, that we can look forward to what is still going to come. And today, we're going to look at peace. We're going to look at what that means for us uh, today. So, when we mention peace, 
Each of us can have different ideas about what peace is. We have a lot of things that roll around in culture and that talk about peace and what it is. Some of us will envision a flowing stream in a sun-filled meadow where the deer comes along and is, is lapping the beautiful, bubbly stream that's flowing through. Others will find peace in being able to hunt and kill that same deer as it's drinking from that stream. We all have our different flavors, right? Or maybe as a parent or even an employee, you may long for that time when you can leave the job or your kids go to bed and you can finally have some peace and quiet. Or others of us have the idea from Miss America that all I want is world peace. We don't necessarily know even what she means, but we know that it sounds good. Another common thought is that peace is the absence of conflict and war, where everyone lives in harmony. This kind of came out of the 60s and 70s where, you know, let's just all live in peace, man. Right? We all have that idea too. And these all touch on the idea of peace, but in Christ, there's so much more to it than just that. Than just those abstract ideas. So we're going to look at this a little bit today. So I want you to take your Bibles and go to the book of Isaiah. Go to Isaiah 9-6. And as we read this verse in a moment, you may recognize it as one that you hear quite often around the Christmas time. Uh, Isaiah 9-6 is going to tell us about the birth of the coming Messiah. And Isaiah is prophesying to the children of Israel during a time that is quite turbulent for them. Things are not going well for them as a nation. But he's going to prophesy about the long-awaited Messiah who is being promised to Israel. So let's read Isaiah 9.6. It says this, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So Isaiah, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, prophesies that the Messiah will be the Prince of Peace. We're going to focus on those last few words. Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was coming to bring peace. He was going to be the one through whom we receive peace from God. Isaiah says that a son will be given to us, and his name will be Prince of Peace. Not only would a son a child, a baby, be given to us, but he would also carry the name Prince of Peace. And this name would carry great weight, especially in the minds of the people of Israel. They would hear this, and that would be a big deal, because their names were going to express an aspect of their character. So whatever a person's name was, that was going to be a huge part of their intended character. So as the Messiah is going to be called the Prince of Peace, we know that peace is going to be a vital part of who he is. It's going to be a main characteristic. It's just going to be something that he is and something that he does. Okay? So in Jesus, we have been given a gift, peace from God. As the Prince of Peace or official representative of God, the Almighty King, Jesus was bringing to us, to all of mankind, Peace. 
this gift on behalf of God. He was to bestow on Israel and all of mankind peace from God. So what is this gift like? I mean, we said, here's what some of our ideas are, but what was kind of the intent? For the Old Testament Jew, they would have used the word shalom. Anyone ever hear shalom? Okay, it expresses peace, but it's not just peace, like, okay, what is peace? It expresses the sense of wholeness, of safety, of health. To have peace meant that they would have completeness. They would have wholeness and well-being. In fact, shalom has become a traditional greeting to express well wishes to people. So turn to your neighbor, smile at them, and say, shalom. Now turn to your other neighbor and do the same thing. Tell them, shalom. Doesn't that just exude peace? Like, how can you get upset when you're saying shalom? You know, you don't see it. You, it's not like people go around saying shalom. You know, you, you say it with that, that. It just kind of, as you're saying it, it just kind of brings peace. Shalom. So when Isaiah is talking about this, he's expressing not just this idea of good wishes or well-being for people. He's saying that peace is encompassing a calmness, a tranquility of soul, even in the midst of a lot of chaos and turmoil. Israel was going through that chaos and turmoil. And so Isaiah is prophesying that the Messiah was going to come and bring peace. He saw that the Messiah would be the prince of bringing wholeness and peace and safety and well-being, not only to all of Israel as a society, not only to all of mankind, but to each individual life as well. And in John 14, 27, we can read Jesus' own words as he expresses what a gift this is. Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Jesus gives us his peace. Peace from the Almighty God. Think about that for a moment. He says, my peace I give to you. Now, I think that there's probably no better place that peace could come from, but from Almighty God, right? It's not like you can go to Target and pick it up off the shelf, or you can't order it online on Amazon during this time of year. You're not going to find peace on the shelves. It's something that God gives us, and he gives it from himself. It's who he is. Now, to describe it even further, 19th century British preacher Charles Spurgeon defines God's peace like this. God's peace is the unruffled serenity of the infinitely happy God, the eternal composure of the absolutely well-contented God. I love that. It's unruffled serenity. Like, you just have calmness. Nothing's going to shake that. Nothing's going to cause you to sway because of what God is giving you. You have eternal composure. I mean, that's a great description of God, right? Like, we know him as nothing catches him by surprise. Nothing ruffles his feathers. He is peace. So, as the creator of peace, when he gives us his peace, we have that unruffled serenity, his eternal composure, and he gives it to us. He commands it for us. He preserves it for us as we allow him. 
So building on this gift of peace from God, let's see what this really entails. And as the Prince of Peace, Jesus gives us peace with God. And for me as a believer, this is exciting news. When I stop and I can think about it, I think peace with God. That's an amazing thing. So to set the stage, I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to go to Ephesians 2.14. For many of you, your Bibles will just flop in that general direction because we've been there for quite a while. And some of you might be saying, really? I thought we were getting away from Ephesians for a while with this series. Well, I know how that goes, but sometimes, you know how you read something and then everything else seems to just kind of dovetail in and, and fit in with that? This is one of those moments. So Ephesians 2.14 is going to talk about this. We're going to read through verse 16. So Ephesians 2.14 says this, For he himself, talking about Christ Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one. And when Paul says both groups, he's writing about Jews and Gentiles. So in other words, all people. Okay? So for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Verse 16, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. So notice in these verses that right off the bat, we see Jesus Christ himself is our peace. He is the one who brings us peace. He is the one who has broken down this dividing barrier wall between God and man. Talks about that he had to destroy the enmity that existed between us. Now, I don't know about you, but enmity is not a normal word that I hear in everyday language. It's not like I go around and I use it in my emails or as I'm texting people, I have enmity with you because you did not do the dishes in the break room, right? You don't go around saying that. Maybe we should. Like, that would be an okay thing, perhaps. But although we don't use it much today, it carries this really huge idea of what our status is. So without Christ, and when we're living in sin, we have this enmity between us. And this enmity is this idea that someone is actively opposed or actively hostile with someone or something. So because of our sin, because of our fallen nature, there exists great enmity between God and every person who is not born again. For every person who is not born again, our sin nature causes enmity with God. In that sin life, we live actively opposed and increasingly hostile with God. Now, most of us are, would think, well, I've never really hated God, or maybe I didn't dislike him, but our sin and that sin life that we live in or lived in caused us to be opposed. We were at odds with, with God. And so sin caused this great quarrel, a great barrier, the huge wall between us. The holy God cannot remain in fellowship with a sinner 
while he or she continues in his or her sin. That's just the reality of our situation in our fallen state. So this wall had existed between us. But Jesus, as the gifted Prince of Peace, came to tear down that wall. That's exciting. For me, I just I get pretty excited that Jesus came, and because of his sacrifice, he made peace between God and man. No longer was that enmity there. Jesus put to death, as it says in verse 16, he put to death that enmity that existed through the cross. Not only did he destroy that enmity between us, that active opposition and hostility, but he also brought us reconciliation with God. He didn't just tear down that wall that separated us and said, all right, you're good to go, move on. He brought us to the point of reconciliation. So that Romans 5.1 gives us a great summary of this. And Paul writes nice and loud, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, some versions may even say, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. His declaration of righteousness over us as a believer takes away the guilt and the stain of our sin. It tears down the wall between us. The barrier between God and us has now been taken away. And we are reconciled and reunited with him. And the great people Peaches and Herb had it right when they sang, Reunited and it feels so good. Reunited because we understood. There's one perfect fit, and yes, this is it. We both are so excited because we're reunited. Hey, hey. Right? Peaches and Herb. Who knew Peaches and Herb were speaking about our relationship with God? Okay, probably not. Probably not. Yeah. That is definitely not from seminary for anyone. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is that we do have peace with God, that we have been reunited because of Jesus' work on the cross. And it is exciting. Hopefully you do get excited about it. Even in our Germanic ways, we get excited about it. So one aspect of this peace is that it is from, that we have peace from God, is that we now can have peace with God. And there's one more aspect that I want to touch on because I think this gets us into everyday living then. And this is, and it is this idea that we, through Jesus, have the peace of God. And I believe that this is huge for our everyday life. As we go through life every day, we need that peace of God as well as this peace with God. So remember earlier that we said that peace reflects calmness and tranquility of soul even during chaotic and turbulent times. This isn't something that we can manufacture. We can't buy it off the shelf. This is the peace of God. And as we read earlier, it comes from God. So we take the truth of God's word and we trust him. We rest in the hope that we talked about last week. We know that God, that truth, that God wins, that he's victorious, that there's nothing that is too difficult for him that we can put our trust in him. And so we know that we can make it through today, or we can make it through the situation that we're going through. We know the promises that God has made to us, and that gives us 
the peace of God. And it's this peace of God that gives someone like Horatio Spafford the ability to pen the words of the song, It Is Well. If you know any of the background before that, or for that song, in 1873, Horatio had scheduled a boat trip to Europe in order to give his wife and daughters a much-needed vacation after the tragic loss of their son. So he sent his wife and daughters ahead of him because he needed to stay in Chicago for a few days and take care of some unexpected last-minute business. Several days later, he received notice that his family's ship had encountered a collision, that all four of his daughters had drowned in the sea, and only his wife had survived. So with a heavy heart, Horatio boarded the boat that would take him to his grieving wife over in England. And it was on this trip that he penned the opening words to the song in as well. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's not something that's easy to say during those turbulent times. It's not something that we can just kind of bring about. But when we have the peace of God, it is during those times that we can find ourselves saying things like that. And here's how. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, give us great instruction on how we can keep the peace of God in our everyday life. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And verse 7 goes on to say, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And here's what I think the summary would be. In other words, Paul is saying, choose thankful prayer over living in worry and anxiety. Choose thankful prayer instead of worry and anxiety. And here's the deal. You can choose to live in worry and anxiety. You can choose to live in the land of worry, of turmoil, and just say, I'm going to wallow in it. Or you can choose to take that anxiety and offer thankful prayer to God. We take what we know about him and we can begin to pray and just trust him for who he is and what he's done. We can ask him to enter into the situation and deal with it. He's going to do a much better job than you or I ever could. The Almighty God can handle your situation. Amen? He can give you the strength to walk through it, knowing that he's right by your side. Or he can just take care of it just like that. He can speak the word and it can be taken care of. But in either situation, we can have the peace of God. We take the truth that we know from God's word and we begin to apply it in our lives. We place our trust in him because we know that he is faithful and true. He's good and loving. He's generous. He's our refuge and our strength. He is eternal He created all things and he commanded the world to be set in motion. And get this. If we allow ourselves to choose thankful prayer over worry and anxiety, here's the result. 
the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, all understanding, will enter the scene. It will guard our hearts and our lives and our minds in Christ Jesus. So as we turn it over to Him, the peace of God comes in. His unruffled serenity and calm, His eternal composure comes into your soul. The reminder that God wins in the end. And that we can keep our hope, our trust in Him. Now, sometimes we can think, well, that's, that's nice. How does that play out? doesn't mean that we have to put on a fake happy face. Like, oh, I just love the situation I'm going through. You know, most people would think you're nuts. Um, but it, the truth is, at times, life stinks. Plain and simple. Things are not always nice. We can be racked with worry because of things like health problems or financial issues. And we can be real about the turmoil we are experiencing. But when we literally turn them over to God, we can begin to notice his peace come on the scene. So this played out a couple of months ago in my own life. A couple of months ago, we got hit with a couple of huge bills. We had an orthodontia bill come in and then the always popular car bill. Like car repair problems sunk in. And so in the matter of just a couple of days, the finances are fun guy was not having so much fun. Okay? Because you start to wonder, where is this all going to come from? How am I going to pay this? And for a while, I wallowed in it. I'll be honest. I didn't do the right thing right away. I allowed myself to just kind of ponder it and let it go over and over in my mind. Like, where is this going to go? How am I going to do this? Do I need to get another job? Do I need to do this or that? And as I allowed it to just fester in my mind, the problem got increasingly larger and larger in my own mind. The dollar didn't change, but in my own mind, you know, it became like the size of Mount Everest. Anyone ever been in that situation where you kind of get to that point and like, oh, good Lord, it was just this and now it's up here? Like, what am I going to do? But then God entered the scene. I was reminded through Scripture of how truly great my God is. I read passages such as Job 41 and, or 40 and 41, and then Psalm 104, which just talks about the greatness of God, that talks about God who set the entire earth into motion, who knew each of the beasts of the field and the, the animals in the sea and the stars in the sky, and he knows everything about them. Like, it talked about him harnessing the snow, Apparently, it's time to unleash it. Uh, but he harnessed the snow, and he knows where it all is. It, it says that he put in, like, a closet thunder and lightning. And it was at that time that I said, well, duh, I guess I can trust God. You know, I, I was reminded again that God was bigger than my financial crunch. He saw me where I was at, but I had that peace from God that I was going to be able to make it through, that our family was going to be fine, that he didn't abandon us, he didn't leave us alone, and so I had the peace of God come into my life. I still had to pay the bills and still work through them, but God came into the situation as I invited him in, as I said, God, I trust you. And at that moment, the peace of God 
entered my heart and soul. So during the second week of Advent, remember that Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, came to bring you and all of mankind peace. We have peace from God. And with that, he brings us peace with God. And he also brings us the peace of God. Would you stand with me this morning as we just begin to close? And as you do stand up, would you just mind simply bowing your head and closing your eyes? Because in these final moments this morning, I ask this question. Where do you need the Prince of Peace to be in your life today? Where do you need Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, to enter in? You may be here this morning and you would say, you know what, I need to find peace with God. I've been living my life my own way, and there's a barrier between God and me. But I don't want that enmity anymore. I don't want to go through life being opposed or hostile to God any longer. Today I choose to be reunited with God and walk with Him from this point forward. I want to receive this gift from God, a reconciled life with Him. If that's you, would you simply just raise your hand as a sign of God, to, or to God of your choice? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. morning, can we just say a a prayer together as a, a church to just say, God, I want your peace. So if we can do that, just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, today I realize that I have been living life my own way. That I have been opposed to you. I don't want to live like this anymore. I want to reunite with you, my Heavenly Father, and I choose to walk with you going forward. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing peace and making it available to me. I love you, Jesus.